Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of Chatting Change. I'm your host, Charlie Ashby. This week we're joined by our guest, Jackie Bridgman, who is a research assistant for the University of Northampton's List Institute. Hi, Jackie. How are you? Hi, Charlie. So, how have you been? Is all good? I'm good, thank you. Yeah. Uh, all back now from um, Project Kickoff meeting. Uh, so, very much focusing now on um, women and transport and all of the issues that women face as transport users and in the employed in the transport sector. Right, well, let's just get straight into it. Um, I guess the first question I have to ask would be, uh, what problems do women face with regards to transport? Uh, as opposed to men? Yeah, that would okay. be... <laughs> right, so, um, and there are a number of ways in uh, which transport for women is very different to that for men and and those of non-binary as well we must include people who identify as as different genders the issues that they face well research already shows us a lot of research has shown us that uh, women make much more complicated journeys and um, complex trip chaining than men Um, this is often uh, due to uh, the complicated nature of their kind of daily patterns of time and space so they'll be combining their journeys to work with dropping children off um, getting shopping on the way home uh, they tend to make much shorter individual journeys within that so they don't tend to travel as far as maybe uh, men travel for a work but they will make shorter distances because they need to be near to um, say childcare facilities so that impacts then on their travel mode choice Uh, It impacts on um, where they can find work. It impacts um, on a financial level as well, because they're then constrained by how far they can go in a certain time distance, which may mean they have to use um, methods of transport that are slightly more expensive than the alternatives, if they were just making one straightforward, long journey to work. So, yeah, they do tend to make a lot more complicated journeys uh, per se. Um, so there's not only that sort of side of, um, of getting to work and um, using transport in that way. Another issue that they face uh, is particularly around safety. So safety for women, um, particularly on public transport, um, we know is an issue and certainly is a very big issue in developing countries. Um, we've had some uh, research that have been looking at um, that have shown that um, up to 90% of women uh, travelling on public transport have, re- have experienced harassment. Um, so that's, that's not insignificant um, to, to, you know, f- for women to report that. And that's, that's what's been reported. So in actual fact, if, where it's not been reported, then it's, it could possibly be higher. Um, so, you know, particularly in developing countries, they are constrained by their socio-cultural status. So they may not report these incidences, but they are experiencing it. And we've also seen, for example, in uh, countries such as Turkey, campaigns launched on public transport to stop manspreading. Now, listeners might wonder what manspreading is. It's, <laughs> it's, it's men occupying a space, occupying a seat on a, a bus or a train, and actually using their size to fill that space and actually encroach on other people's space. So as a woman, you might well be kind of hemmed into a corner or you know, positioned in a quite a tight space by men either side of you. And it's not an attractive thing to witness, and it's certainly not attractive when you're sat next to 
much larger people on public transport who um, you know are determined to take up all that space. You know, it's just being polite. Um, so if we've got to that position where we have to have campaigns to tell men how to sit <laughs> on a bus or on a train, then I think we actually have a problem and we're actually acknowledging that there is, you know, an issue with um, the way men and women then use public transport. So, yeah, it is, it is a, um, you know, an issue. Um, safety particularly therefore as well with safety women will kind of um, what how's the word I'm looking for women will kind of um, change their kind of travel behavior according to where how they perceive um, they might feel safe so for example they might not travel at night um, because they don't um, feel safe where the bus might drop them off they might not be able to get from that bus stop to home very easily the pathway might not be lit um, you know, travelling late at night, there's not going to be many people around to ask if you get into any difficulty. Again, there's the fear of harassment on public transport. I mean, we know that happens. Um, but it's not just on the public transport, it's getting from public transport, you know, that, that, that sort of last few yards or mile from, from the bus stop or the train stop to home. You know, if, that's, if you don't feel safe walking that distance, um, then you're not going to do it. So you are therefore going to be constrained by using public transport only at the hours that you feel safe. So that might be during the daytime working hours. So again, you're restricting your movement, you're restricting uh, opportunities for employment, you know, where um, you might be offered the opportunity to work shifts, but because the shift doesn't finish till 10 and your only option is to get back by public transport, you might not feel safe doing that. Now, that's very much a cultural thing as well. I've recently been in uh, Lisbon. Um, that felt incredibly different to Northampton. So in Northampton, there's no way I would personally get a bus back at 10, 11 o'clock. That's if they ran that late. Yeah. Whereas in uh, Lisbon, it's quite normal to see women walking around the street, you know, young women, older women, uh, at midnight, walking home from work because bars and... Um, restaurants are open that late so you know their employees are walking home or getting public transport home at that time of night and that's quite normal and that's quite safe so there is a big cultural difference in various parts of the world where we can learn from and certainly developing world can learn from so those are a few of the issues that are faced by women in transport and that's not even looking at the transport sector yeah exactly it's interesting that you were saying about how like um like obviously in third world countries there's a social divide in certain cases and that's why it's unsafe in certain places but i mean even in northampton like mm -hmm. we're in the uk where it's, we're supposed to be one of the highest uh, respectable western countries and we have a big sort of problem when it comes to yeah yeah we have a, a yeah a, a similar problem i mean in in developing countries yeah i mean it it, it it's wrong to say it's, ac it's accepted practice that this is what happens and this is what women have up to now experienced. That, that's changing. Um, you know, here we wouldn't expect that, that level of problem. However, we still expect that there will be a problem with our safety in terms of whether we're going to be mugged or whether we're going to, you know, be attacked. Um, harassment on public transport is not just the physical, it's the kind of the mental and... and and all of those things, and yeah, and we yeah, I mean, you still get it. I mean, there's this practice of upskirting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that happens in public, and we've seen that happen in um, you know, or people have been on the tube, for example, 
Um, so yeah, it, harassment can be experienced in many different ways. Some of it seems to be more culturally situated in certain places. Um, you know, we might not experience, expect to experience the same type of harassment that women face in, in India, for example, but we still experience it in the same, you know, in a, in, in yeah. a different way. I guess we've got our own little cultural elements yes. as well, like I suppose, like yeah. you're saying harassment. Yeah. I guess like people on public transport, maybe wolf whistling or sort of. Yeah, that, that, that is, yeah, that, that, yeah, that, that's a, another classic example. Um, catcalling, yeah. all of these things, yeah, yeah, they are harassment and none of it is acceptable. Um, so we have to look to to change that now. Mm. Know, yeah, I wouldn't be. I mean, I guess the divide there between men and women. I, I guess men wouldn't have these sort of problems. No, I mean, well, yeah, it's difficult to say because I mean, some some men will turn around and say, "Yes, we do." Yeah. Um, you know, um, by and large, they are, um, you know, much more oriented towards women, and actually not just women, but um, you know. LGBT um, community as well experiences a lot of this, um, so it's not just women that experience this. Mm. You know, I mean, actually, it can be it can be any form of harassment. I mean, harassment towards older people, for example, age ages. So it's not just women. It, it is large sections of the population. So yes, it can be meant towards men. You yeah. know, particularly if it was if it was older men taking time too much time to get off the bus, for example. You know, because you're not sure and there's no easy way of getting off if you're not feeling particularly kind of confident about jumping down steps and things so yeah then that, 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 that comes into accessibility as well so yeah i mean harassment's harassment whether it's directed at, at one gender or another it's it's still unacceptable exactly um, yeah but yeah i mean in in this context yeah we, we are talking about that which is aimed at women and um yeah to a to an extent the lgbt population too yeah, of course, this uh, harassment is in all forms. I just, I, I just assume that it sort of tilts towards women and, sort of, like you said, um, groups, LGBT groups mm. that mm. are often underrepresented. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have heard examples of um, young people um, who, young young gay people who have experienced um, harassment on public transport, and and that has then impacted their decision to attend counselling classes, for example. Um, I do know of one example of that where um, a young person was um, totally put off using public transport because of the abuse that was directed at them. And then that then impacted on their, yeah, their, their journey through whatever issues it was that they were dealing with. So, um, yeah, stamping out harassment, I think, should be, um, you know, a top priority on, on transport, well, in general. Um, interesting how like for some person who's maybe behind the harassment for them it's just an average day like they wouldn't do they wouldn't even think about that but no. for someone else it could impact them yeah and sometimes i don't think people even realize they they yeah they're doing it sometimes obviously it is more overt but the man spreading thing for example that that's classic yeah don't even realize that they're doing it i mean i've sat i was so tempted recently i was on a train and there was a, a man sitting opposite me train was absolutely packed people were standing um everywhere all around but this chap was taking up two seats with his legs you know widely splayed and his briefcase <laughs> on the other chair on the other seat and you know there's there's millions of people all you know wanting yeah. to say to him excuse me mate do you mind moving your bag 
Um, but nobody dared actually confront him and say, you know, you're taking up a space that could be occupied by somebody who, you know, might actually want to sit down. Yeah. Um, but he didn't even, didn't even register that that might be an issue. Um, you know, so, yeah, it's, actually it just comes down to being more mindful of in, other individuals, doesn't it? And, yeah, and being respectful. Um, um, you know, I mean, he's he he probably had his head still in his work mode or whatever, but it, it was actually downright rude. Yeah. Um, Sometimes you just need a bit of empathy. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not just talking about like societal problems in terms of people getting on public transport. There's also the issue of um, the transport sector itself. Mm-hmm. So, is there a gender divide when it comes to men and women working within that transport sector? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and um, this is something that we're looking to address in uh, in our project. Um, women make up what forty seven percent of the workforce now. Um, within the transport sector, it's twenty percent. So there is a massive divide um, in terms of the numbers of women um, who are working within the transport sector, and that could be in any capacity. It can be, um, you know, truck driving, train driving. Um, it can be working in management roles within transport companies. Um, it could be selling tickets. It could be absolutely any capacity, um, any role within that sector. And yeah, I mean, it's a huge difference. It is changing. It is. It is improving. Um, but twenty um, percent within the UK uh, is still very low, and it's below the EU um, uh, statistic, which is around twenty two percent. So not not hugely mm. below but it's it's significant and yeah i mean it, it should be equal why should why why should it still be so low and we have to look at um you know the perceptions around women in the transport sector jobs for the boys and all of that that goes with it you know i mean many roles within transport within engineering um are positioned as being dirty jobs you know they are sort of hard there you know you're going to be outside working freezing conditions as engineers you're going to be working on social hours driving trains and trucks and you know it's you know a mucky job that mm. nobody really wants to get their hands dirty and do and you know it it comes down to the old thing of right men put the bins out women don't do that sort of thing you know that that that's a thing yeah. so it's that kind of perception around all of that if you want to bring it right down to that but there's no reason why women can't do those jobs and women do very successfully do jobs within the transport sector there are many women who run haulage companies and logistics companies and there's a very um, strong presence for women uh, within that sector in the airline industry it, it's far worse and this is something we're not probably going to address in, in the project that i'm working on but it's a it's a very significant area of interest um you know when you've got um data on airline pilots for example um in the us and the uk if you look at the data it's around four percent of airline pilots that are women that's very very low yeah very, uh, very low um but if you want to look at women, so that's pilots. So if you want to look at women who are within management roles within the airline industry, that's even worse. Um, I think the, the, the figure that we had of CEOs or MDs within airline, um, industry, airline companies was around 15 women, um, if you want to go back to about 2010. And that's got worse. We've now got about 94% of airlines are led by men. So why aren't women working in this industry? Why, when women are, make up the predominant kind of um, staffing numbers in cabin crew, for example, yeah. 
Um, why are they not pilots? So you can't use the argument that, oh, it's inflexible working, etc., etc., because women are up there in the skies mm. all day long, you know? They're in the same plane as the pilots. So where is this, this difference? It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't seem to make any sense to me, because if you're going to work inflexible hours, you're going to work inflexible hours. Now, one thing that I did notice that's quite interesting um, is around maternity leave. Yeah. Okay, so um, if you are, one thing that, that did come out, so if you are um, a breastfeeding mother, for example, if you are cabin crew or, or if you have any kind of land-based job, for example, you, you know, you can, you can normally work around that or an employer can, um, you know, support you in ways that you can maintain that when you return to work. If you're an airline pilot, and, and many of the airlines apparently don't have... Um, uh, the option for their pilots or for some of their female crew to have a space to be able to maintain their breastfeeding practice, you know, mm. within their day to day kind of working. So, and also they they've not they don't have to offer them a land based um, job while they are breastfeeding their child. So it's basically you come back to work and you stop that, or you know you change your job. So. It may well be that there is still a lot of work that needs to be done around that. I mean, we're only really touching on that in terms of a research avenue at the minute. But, yeah, if you're preventing women from being able to carry on uh, and kind of, you know, look after both kind of their job and their family life there, support both, then, yeah, that's an issue that we do need to address. But I think it's actually more than that. I think it still certainly comes back to... Um, how girls are um, encouraged into the STEM subjects, so that's science, technology, engineering and maths, yeah. how they are kind of supported into getting into those um, careers at, while still in education. I think it, that's where it comes down to it. You know, if you still talk to girls and boys, you know, boys will still say, yeah, I want to be the pilot, and girls will still say, I want to, um, you know, be cabin crew. There may be cultural reasons behind this, but I think there are also some some um, some studies will say that women are more um, empathetic. Women are much more natural conversationists. Women are much more happy to be caring for people in in that in that respect. So, looking after people while they're on board. But there are probably, you know, I don't know the percentage difference in male to female cabin crew, for example, but. There's a lot. Whenever I go on the plane, there's a lot of male cabin crew. Yeah. So, you know, um, it's it's an interesting area to unpick as to why women don't become pilots, don't become train drivers, because that's another area of issue. Again, it comes down to the um, long hours. It comes down to, um, you know, having to stop over, you know, at the end of your shift, all these kinds of things, which have an impact on... Um, you know, trying to kind of foster that work-life balance and support your family, and and that is a bit of an issue. So, I think it's twofold. It's it's encouraging children um, and breaking down these um, stereotypes uh, in education, but also it's supporting women further in um, in work, and not only that, but it's supporting their, their partners as well. So. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Do you think that representation has something to do with this as well? The fact that young girls don't get to see themselves? Yeah. I, like like you said, uh, if kids are saying, oh, I want to be the pilot, I want to be the cabin crew, it's probably because they, they've 
used to seeing uh, women as the cabin crew, men as the pilot. Yeah, that that yeah, that's that's certainly um, a case, but um, it's not it's not so prevalent, perhaps in a day to day basis. Because I mean, not all not all kids kind of fly all the time, but yeah, I mean, those are st- sort of statistics. So those are stereotypes, rather, I should say, but. But if you look at bus drivers, for example, there are yeah. plenty of female bus drivers. So kids get to see bus drivers more than they do um, probably pilots. Because, I mean, let's face it, you very infrequently see a pilot these days, you yeah. know. They're not even often there to see you off the plane, you know. So it's only when they speak to you over the tunnel that you realise that they're male or female. But you're more likely to encounter a female bus driver or um, truck driver or train driver, for example. So... You know, if kids can see that as a normal role and, and see that, yeah, I could do that, um, then, yeah, it, these things will change, um, you know. So it, it's actually, yeah, having a presence out there. Uh, and, but but it's, it, it's also other male-dominated sort of occupations, isn't it? Like um, very recently there was a story about a young girl who always wanted to be a firefighter and she um, had a conversation with her mother and her mother had said, well, why, do, why don't you want to be one? You know, why have you changed your mind? She changed her mind. She said, no, I don't want to be one because they're all boys. Mm. Um, it's, all, it's a boy's job. Boys do that kind of job. And um, this got picked up via social media. And the fire uh, fighting force within her local area, I think it was in the UK, they picked this story up and said, no, look, come and speak to all of the women that are firefighters in yeah. our force. And it kind of opened this young girl's eyes to the opportunity that was there right in front of her that, Women can do this, yeah. and women are doing this, and um, and so yeah, this this young girl had got this idea in her head that women couldn't do this. So that's where we need to get in. It's in the schools. We need to te- teach boys and girls, you know, that you can do any of these things, and you know, the sky's literally the limit. <laughs> if you want to be a pilot, be a pilot. I mean, there are various perceptions around pilots. You know, I mean, there are stories. I don't know how true they are that. Um, you have to fund your own way through um, your training to become a pilot, uh, whether that puts off women or not, because certainly women can achieve the entry level qualifications. You know, there's no reason why they can't. Um, so I think there's many more barriers that are, you know, that are not really very well understood yet and need to be certainly. Um, but yeah, trains, trams, trucks, uh, all of these things. Women are women are there. They have a presence, but. They need more of a presence. That's the thing. So speaking about like getting that presence and improving on that, what can we do to improve this sort of disparity between uh, men and women? Well, uh, um, it's interesting. I did a a workshop uh, back in November on women in transport, um, and we all did a roundtable where we kind of sat and thrashed this idea out. Um, as to how we could actually improve our uh, opportunities for women in the transport sector. And one of the things that came up that was not actually expected to come up uh, is actually encouraging men uh, to support women Mm. um, in this role. So, for example, um, what we need to do in terms of um, paternity leave, I think that could be massively improved for men. Um, You know, as things stand, men here in the UK get several weeks off I think they're allowed to take a lot of men won't take that um, or maybe don't even get the opportunity to take that if we can encourage men to support their partners who may have had children and are looking to return to work um, you know maybe a little bit sooner because it's good for their career progression 
um, then we should be supporting men into that role to say that yes this is fine do this you know and I'm sure a lot of men would actually relish the opportunity to spend time with their children when they're younger I mean this is just one avenue I'm talking about but yeah. it it is I think about not just improving opportunities for women to get into these roles it's actually about educating men that they can uh, and and supporting men uh, in 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 that way that they can then support their wives girlfriends partners whatever into actually having the opportunity to improve themselves and um, you know if men feel that they are able to take a more active role in their uh, children's upbringing um, then we would socially ac you know say was acceptable or, or has been in the past um, I think that's one way in which we could definitely make a big difference. Is there any other sort of options you think or do you reckon that's the sort of the main focus we should be putting on because um, mm. like you said uh, I suppose in a way like pretend or even that men have kind of already got the cards stacked up for them so against them again uh, yeah. yeah 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 i mean yeah th this is one of the big kind of um cultural shifts isn't it that we we expect men to be the breadwinner and the provider and um yeah i mean that that that's one thing that i think employers need to change their mindset on um is is saying yeah i mean i mean it's it's a good thing i mean when I had my children, that there was no such option for men to have any time off. If you wanted time off, you took annual leave. And so, of course, that's very much constrained by how much leave you've got. <laughs> um, unless you want to take unpaid leave, which, I mean, not many people can afford to do. So, um, yeah, I think improving improving that for men, I think, would be a key driver in, in, in improving opportunities for women. Because quite often what you see happen is that women will have a career, they'll have children... They don't feel they can go back to it because the scheduling doesn't work if they wanted to say, for example, if you wanted to be a train driver, if you were a train driver, you know, these shifts might not be that flexible. They might not be terribly accommodating if you've got childcare responsibilities or you've got to, you know, pick somebody up at the end of your day because nurseries aren't open 24-7 and because they're never, you know, near enough on your doorstep that you can coordinate all of these complex trip chaining again. Um, so, um, yeah, so that puts women off going back. Whereas if they know they've got the support and their partner knows they've got the support from their employer, then they're more likely to progress on in their career and, and go that bit further and actually, you know, do what they want to do and enjoy doing. Um, so you, I suppose the drop-off rate from when women have babies um, and then go back into it later on and having to almost retrain and start again, you know, if we can break that... And support women by supporting the men. I think we've got one really good route, you know, to to forging, you know, higher careers. Because when we look at the levels of women that are in management roles, you know, it's not great. No, so, of course. Uh, of course, because women just don't get that far. Yeah. So, you know, support men. You support yeah. women. It's, you know. Yeah, everyone's got to uh, put their own weight in and work yeah. together. Yeah, everyone's got to put a bit together. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the final question I'm going to ask you is. Um, so the project you've mentioned before on the podcast, uh, yeah. it's called Tingo. It's called Tingo, yes. So um, Tingo um, is really um, an EU um, Horizon 2020 project. Um, we're just kicking off uh, at the start. We're just at the start of a three-year um, process with this. Um, so Tingo is going to create um, 
A, I'm going to have to go to quickly look at a transport innovation gender observatory that's what tingo stands for um, and as an observatory what that's going to do is it's going to um, draw data from across the world on um, transport uh, from a gendered perspective so we are looking at you know women's movements across women's mobility we are looking at women working within the transport sector we are looking at how women use public transport so we're going to gather all of this data and it's going to be become kind of sit in this rather large observatory or data repository so with around Europe we'll have 10 hubs and uh, within the UK uh, societal will be um, a leading on one of the on, on the UK hub so there'll be 10 hubs around Europe we will each have a, a slightly different focus um, so one of our focuses um, is around uh, rural transport mm -hmm. and how women um, negotiate that. So that's just one of our little areas. I think one in France is looking at women's safety. So every country has a slightly different focus. So um, we will be gathering all of this data and then we're going to be looking at it um, in an inter intersectional way uh, and seeing what we can draw out from that data. Um, we're also going to be uh, putting together some citizen science workshops later on in the project. So we'll be engaging with um, you know, uh, women and, and, and others um, to, to have a look at transport, to have a look at not only how they use it, but how um, things such as vehicle design um, are um, uh, sort of... Um, I'm looking at how that's kind of shown to women, you know, and how advertising is shown to women for vehicle design, that yeah. kind of thing. So many, many things we'll be looking at within this project. Um, it's three years, uh, 20 partners across Europe. So it's a very big project. We have um, a sister project as well that we will be working quite closely with, which is called Diamond. And um, they have a slightly different focus to ours. So between us, we should start to tackle this because this is um, quite a... Um, key area for the EU to actually research at the moment uh, and they're, they're looking at us for some um, some output so the the kind of emphasis on on this is uh, not um, what we are going to do as Tingo because we are actually just forming this observatory but actually what can be done mm -hmm. so we will put all that data out there at the end which hopefully will be available open source um, and um, we will disseminate all our research through um, channels as conferences and papers and publications and um, yeah and then hopefully at the end of the three years we may well be able to upscale it to other countries as well so it's very exciting that's really cool and that I guess it sort of shines a light it's good at shining a light on the issues and what specific things are causing yeah women yeah not yeah I, I think it will um, um, bring up quite a lot of um, interesting um, issues that we hadn't thought about. I mean, one of the, 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 the immediate things, and this is a glaringly obvious one, I mean, we talk about women in transport, but somebody asked me this question um, recently when I was, I was talking at a conference, and somebody said, but are you including those that identify as women? Mm. Uh, and I just had to suddenly have a little think about that internally before my obvious answer was, yes, of course we are. Um, so, I mean, even in the language that we use, we have to be quite conscious that we are inclusive and this is all about being inclusive um you know and it was it was just yeah of course of course we are including those that identify as women because you know equally is um a problem you know or an area of, of, of research that needs to be to be looked at for 
for, for absolutely anybody to be to be perfectly honest but yeah this will this will bring up i think quite a lot of um interesting topics it's very exciting yeah. and now yeah like you said it's it's great to include sort of people that are also being harassed and you know yeah it's even though society we're sort of trying to we're learning and expanding and sort of um, you know, have to learn all these new words and stuff it's yeah. good to help yeah people who yeah who yeah. may be slightly yeah um uh non uh normative i suppose is the word or so or what we would position as non-binary exactly that's the word yeah. i mean that's the word i'm after yeah so <laughs> i mean yeah i mean we have yeah we have to be completely inclusive we should be and and that's so important and i think that's one of our, our key outcomes from this well that's wonderful um well, unfortunately, I think that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you. Thanks um, for having me. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Jack, for coming on. Um, where can people find you to discuss these matters further? Um, you can find me through the Society website, my email, um, and on Twitter. Um, my Twitter um, is should be on my on the web page. If it's not, we'll put it there. But yeah, that's <laughs> normally where I um, get more vocal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so reach out through Twitter. Reach out through bet. Twitter. Yeah, that's a good place to get me or, or, via, or via my email. Okay, great. Um, as always, I want to thank both the University of Northampton's List Institute and Societal for helping create the podcast. You can find them on Twitter. Uh, societal is at societal underscore and at Unifor Logistics is for the University of Northampton's List Institute. And you can also find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. To find out more about us, go to our website, which is www.societal.org.uk. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon.